I've been involved in the construction trade over the years, and I uh, drive by buildings that we've built over the countryside, and I'll drive by them, and sometimes I'll think about those buildings, and I'll look at them and think about the fact that, you know, at the end day, when everything burns up, all these buildings are going to burn up, okay? Well, when I look at the children gathered here tonight, and I look at the investment that we put into eternal souls, and I believe that this is an eternal investment tonight. The souls of children. We love children. If you don't love children, I hope that you will start to love children. I don't believe that God has called us all to have 12 children like Martha and I have. But I believe that God has called every family and every mother and every father to love children. Eternal souls. And so how can we, with the entrustment that we've been given, reading through, ran into a scripture the other week that seems taken out of context a little bit, but it really grabbed me. Exodus 2.9 Take this child away and nurse it for me. And I will give thee thy wages. Who said that? Pharaoh's daughter said that to Moses' mother. Take the, or I probably, She probably said it to Miriam. I'm not sure. Either Miriam or Moses' mother. But she said, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages. Now remember the story of Moses and we had the Israelites... And uh, the, the Egyptians are getting concerned that these people are becoming too strong. We don't need people becoming so strong that they became... The concern was that Egypt may lose out to Israel. And uh, so the, the, the order was given for the midwives to take the baby boys, put them in the river, and uh, that would be the end of the baby boys, and... Uh, it would weaken the Israelites and keep them in their place, and they would be a people who the Egyptians could still control. And so, Moses' mother and father were left with some choices, and choices that you as parents are going to be left with as you raise your children. Um Moses' mother and father had limited time to raise that child for the Lord. At some point, and I don't know what point, you know, was she going to take care of this child till he's five and Egypt gets a hold of him? I don't know. The scripture really doesn't say how long they had with this child before Egypt got to offer their influence into this child's life. And I can identify a little bit with how they must have been feeling because we have a a couple in our church where dad walked away from God and he has the right to have that child home on weekends and he wants to take that child he's sensing some responsibilities as a father but mom needs to, when mom has to give him up he goes 
the evil influences of Egypt. He's under the influence of television, all those things. And so we've got a real warfare that is happening. And I can identify now, when I see the warfare that's happening in that child's heart and soul, when he comes home and they dressed him up in t-shirts that we would never dress him in and things like that, and he comes home, for a few minutes it takes him time to settle down. You can just see the, you can see the confusion in his face. Because he's got two hearts pulling him different directions. Egypt and the people of God. Moses' mother and father had a limited amount of time to influence Moses. And I want you to remember, brothers and sisters, that you do too. Children and concrete have this in common. I've tried a lot of concrete over the years, at least they used to. Back when I was young, I was still on a construction cruise and we trial concrete. It sets up. At some point it sets up and you're done. And sometimes we weren't satisfied with the job. It just got ahead of us and there was a foot track or something in it. And you tried to trial that foot track back out and your time was up. And it's now concrete. And... Uh, at that point, you hope that you're working for a gracious customer. You know, but concrete and children have one thing in common. They both set up eventually. Now, it does not mean that God can't get a hold of a heart later on in life. But I'm just reminding you that right now is your chance. Right now is your chance. Moses came to the point of needing to make a decision. Um, before we go any further, can we have some volunteers? I need four or five men to take some scripture verses to read them as we go through the evening. Uh, need a volunteer. Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26. Who can look that up? Right here, okay. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6. <clears throat> right there, and, okay. Sorry I don't have enough of names here. I'll just point directly at you. Psalm 32, 8. Back on the left, right along the side. Not you, Rick. Or Rick, is that correct? I'll give you the next one, Rick, um, or Richard. Proverbs 19.18. And then Proverbs 13.24. Back here on the right. Zizit. Okay, so Moses comes to the point of needing to make a decision between Egypt and the people of God. Our children will also be making that decision. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. Can you read that? This is Moses' decision. My heart's cry is that every child in this room makes a decision that Moses did. And I think every parent sitting here wants their children to make that decision. That is our heart's cry. What do we have of our children if we lose our children? Children, the pool will be very strong at some point in your life and you will need to make a decision. Parents, make it easy for them. Make it easy for them. 
Moses' parents obeyed the king's orders to the best of their ability. Instead of waiting till the Egyptians threw their son in the water, they were proactive and they threw their own son in the water. And they did something significant that no one else did. They not only threw their son in the water, they prepared him for it. And then they watched. They sent a daughter out to keep an eye. Maybe this thing gets loose from the reeds and starts floating down the river. I always marveled about Moses' parents. When you're afraid of something and the river is a place they're going to drown your child, where's the last place you go to put them? They put them in the river. I don't quite understand all that. But they stuck them in the river. You know, the place you'd be most afraid of. But they prepared them for the river. They prepared him for the river so that even as a baby, he could deal with the influences that killed the rest of the children. Parents, you will never regret your investment in your children. You know, I, as a minister of the gospel, as a man concerned about the souls of men and women, and all of you who have been involved with reaching out to people, there comes some times when you get into situations working with young people, or even, yeah, especially young people, and the thought crosses your mind, I wish somebody would have began this investment 20 years ago. We're 20 years behind We're 20 years behind. Where are the fathers and mothers that should have been investing in this child? And I tell you, I would rather stand here and preach tonight and be working before we got problems than spending nights counseling when the issues seem so deep. It's like, how do we ever... I would much rather be here this weekend because we've got, we're way ahead of things. We can get things on track much easier now. It's way easier. Years ago, we would do hay in the barn and we'd push the wagon out onto the barn hill And going down the barn hill, there was two ways to take that wagon down the barn hill. One of them is get a hold of the back, you and your brothers, and you hang on the back end and try not to let the thing go down too fast. The other thing was get out in front and steer that thing and run with it. And that was actually, in some ways, the more dangerous thing, but it was way easier to do. You know, just, and I think about uh, trying to, where we get caught in a situation of don't do, you know, trying to stop a runaway train. It's much easier to get a hold of that thing early on and steer it where it shouldn't be going. Okay, so the fence at the top or the amulets at the bottom. I'd much rather be where I'm in tonight. Isaiah 48:18. Oh, that thou had hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river. God is saying here, now this is sort of a lament in some ways, but I picked it up as a verse to take with us through this group of meetings. That thou had hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river. God is promising us that as we embrace the commandments of God in our homes, that 
the result in our homes will be a peaceful atmosphere. I believe that. I've seen it in our home. Is there times when things get off track? Yes. Um, does it, does it, do some days you feel like this isn't quite what I envisioned? Yes. Well, where do we go? We just get back on track again. Um, the peace, as I listen to my children singing during the week, I listen to the blessing in the kitchen, and I sit back in my office and I listen to my children sing. I think this is, this is God's way. This is the peace and blessing that comes from walking with God. Train up Proverbs 22 6. Who has that? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, one of the questions that came in is, uh, what is the proper age to spank a child? Younger than one or wait till they are one? Younger than one or wait till they are one? I'm going to talk a little bit about training tonight. Forgive me if I overemphasize it here at the beginning. Sometimes to get some a paper that's bent to stand up straight, we bend it a little too far the other way and we let it go, it stands straight. Okay, forgive me if I talk a little bit too much about training here. Um, <clears throat> I was up on a hillside one day a year ago or so watching down... The, the farm down below me is a crep program, so the fella rented it out for a hunting property. They lease, they, well, the guy comes in, drops birds off in the grass, and these hunters come in and pay so much to go out there and shoot these birds, $25 a bird or whatever it is. And uh, one day, this hunter was down there with this dog hunting, and I was hearing all this yelling and Goings on, and so I was curious about this, and I also was kind of curious. It'd be interesting to see if he shoots something. So I was standing there watching, and he was just yelling at this dog. <clears throat> and after a while, I finally decided he's saying smoke. Well, that made sense because the dog was white, so the dog's name must have been Smoke. And he's yelling at Smoke, Smoke, Smoke. Well, what the problem was, a well trained dog will. Come up on a bird, when it smells it, it will stop, it will go on point, and then he gives a hunter time to come up, and then the hunter lets the bird go, and the, and, uh, the dog to, gives the dog permission to chase the bird out, then you shoot it. Well, the problem with smoke was, he was having the time of his life. I mean, he was... He was, he was running around the field and the dog has to be within, you know, when the bird flushes, it needs to be within 30, 40 yards so you can hit this thing. And Smoke was doing loops around the field and he would find a bird. And so the, the guy would be yelling at him, Smoke, stop, stay still, Smoke. And Smoke, he was just, he would keep sneaking forwards a couple steps, a couple steps, you know, and he wouldn't, and after that, the bird would flush and he would be off after that bird, 200 yards away from the hunter. And I was just enjoying this so much. This was really good. That was one of those knee slappers. Um, smoke was blessing my day. Now, here's the problem. 
Sometimes that little smoke is with us in a grocery store, and it's not near as funny when <laughs> he's misbehaving, okay? So was smoke stupid? Well, smoke a stupid dog. I would probably say he probably wasn't. Was smoke bird-brained? I'd say, yeah. I'd say smoke probably was bird-brained. He had birds on his brain anyway. I can tell you that. He had birds on his brain. Uh, <clears throat> was smoke trained? No. Did smoke have a lot of potential? I would say yes. I actually like smoke. I really had a lot of appreciation. He was just so gung-ho to find that bird. I think smoke had a lot of potential. Was smoke being a blessing? No. Smoke wasn't being a blessing. Was his owner responsible for his own frustrations? Yes. He hadn't taken the time to properly train smoke. Is that responsibility based on desire or qualifications? How did I end up with this responsibility anyway? And I'm asking that question because I want to get to something for you young men who are not married yet. If you would like to get married someday and you don't have the energy or time to put energy into children and to train them for the kingdom of God, then I suggest you don't get married. In other words, get this through your head right now. It takes a lot of work. Or forget the marriage thing. Uh, <clears throat> so start thinking that through right now. Is this was was this responsibility based on uh, this man's qualifications? I don't know. Um, he how did he end up with his responsibility? Well, he decided he wanted to hunt. So for you fathers, um, men end up with children on their hands. And then they start asking questions, well, what do I do with this now? You know, um, Well, start thinking that through. You're going to train them. You're going to raise them for God. Um, in the end, I did hear Smoke's owner shoot a time or so. But I would say from the looks of, of the sounds of things, I could not tell from where I was at if he was shooting at the birds or the dog. And I still don't know if he was shooting at the birds or the dog. I know what it, I could tell from the sounds of things who he felt like shooting at. So, the word says train up, not beat up. Train up, not educate up. Train up, not positive affirmation up. Now, in all those things there, I see some benefits, but sticking to my thought of bending this thing far enough that we get the thought of training in our minds, and I'll tell you why I want to bend this pretty far, is because we tend to train with gut reactions because we're busy, and we don't have the time to put energy where it belongs. And the unfortunate thing is most <clears throat> young families, when children are young, dads are trying to earn, establish a business. And those two things, <clears throat> or establishing a business, establishing a home, all mitigate against time for children. 
And I'm glad that God gives responsibility to young people because they have the energy. So training in the animal world, you know, growing up as a boy, we had dogs and cats around. We saw them learning things that would surprise you. We had a cat that used to ring the doorbell. I don't know how he figured that out. I think it's because he crawled up the side of the door jam a couple times and, and accidentally touched the bell. And then we came running to the door. So that was positive affirmation. And so somehow he figured out to do this thing repeatedly, even at night. He didn't stop to think of what time of day it was. But that was trained behavior that he learned that somewhere. It wasn't, uh, I actually like, that cat was had a lot of personality too. He would walk around with his tail straight in the air. And uh, I just loved that cat. He just was really, until he went through the hay bond one day. It was it, that he took the hay bond on and that was it. But uh, several years ago, I was, with Christian Aid Ministries working with a man came down for a week named Johnny Rule. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Johnny. Good, he's a great storyteller, and uh, he's a horse trainer. He was he had gotten out of for a while. I think he'd gone through some difficult circumstances in life. He'd gotten out of that. One day he got a phone call for some families that wanted to come and just. Train their, show their children, show their children how to train horses. Well, the parents were there also, and he saw this as a good opportunity. The first horse that they brought in was uh, a horse that was named Will, but he said it probably should have been named Won't. And uh, let me see. So for Will, um, he wouldn't. The issue was when they got in the arena, he wouldn't let you walk up to him. The way they had to catch him was like hold an apple out. So they would walk up and uh, take an apple and hold hold behind him. They would keep the, the rope to catch him with. And as soon as he would grab the apple, they'd grab him. Now, what were they doing? According to Johnny's definition, they were training this horse to actually respond to bad, in other words, giving him the apple was teaching bad behavior. Giving him the apple was teaching him that if we give, we'll do a trade-off. If I give you the apple, then maybe you can catch me, maybe. Okay, so Johnny went into the ring. He asked the children, well, is there any other ideas? You just, you're teaching, you're teaching your horse um, they said, well, maybe another way to catch it, uh, how about we all just get around it? Okay, so eight children running around the ring, and they finally all get around the horse, and they catch the horse. And uh, Johnny said, well, did you catch him willingly? Well, no. And Johnny's take on that is, well, he was running away from you, so you're training him that uh, the only way to catch him is to catch him, you know, by... You're training him to run away from you. So Johnny said, here's, here's how I would do it. He's a, he's a good trainer. He walks up and uh, he, he, okay, for Will, he, he just grabs his whip and they're in the ring and he just starts working Will. Gets him to gallop. And he's, Will's just running around the pen. And uh, actually won't. 
we call him Wont here until we get to the end. So Wont's running around the pen, and uh, he's getting tired. And he kind of looks at Johnny like, hey, what's, you know, I'm starting to rethink this. And as soon as he does that, Johnny realizes that he's starting to rethink it. So he stops, backs off, and uh, starts walking towards him. And Wont takes off again, so he just gets his whip, cracks it, and gets him running around the pen again. And, and uh, when they're done... Uh, I guess he looks at him again. He can tell that he's getting he's getting tired of this now. So he backs off and he starts walking towards him. And this happens a couple of different times. Um, this uh, so the horse at that point walks up to him, and then it looks like he's the children thinks well he's getting trained, but Johnny knows enough to know that there's still some rebellion still hidden in there. So, sure enough, after a bit, takes off again. So Johnny just works him some more in the pen. And uh, in the end, within, I'm not sure how many minutes, um, this horse turns and walks over to Johnny. And then Johnny walks around the pen and the horse follows him around because he has decided that it's easier to come than what it is to work. And uh, that's training. That is training. So... However you want to define it, when we work with our children, um, whether you want to call it training, I, I, to me, uh, <clears throat> training is a little bit different, and I think it should precede discipline. In other words, don't just spank a child without them knowing for sure what is expected of them. Um, Make sure that you've clearly defined your, your goals, your vision, and that they are disobeying. Then we move on to a little more heavier uh, training. I was preaching down at uh, Kentucky a couple months ago and just mentioned the smoke story. And then we got back to family's house and sat down to eat supper. And guess what? My little smoke, the youngest one, um, decides that I asked her to say thank you for something. And she decides she's not going to say thank you. <laughs> well, don't you love that when you're a preacher? And uh, they're, they're giving you training responsibilities right there. You know, I... I tried not to make a big scene, so I, I, I backed off a little bit. I was thinking about it. She didn't want to say thank you because she was shy. I have come to believe over time that shyness is not necessarily godliness. Shyness actually can be a form of pride, and it can be also a form of disobedience. And so she was too shy. <laughs> she didn't want to shake hands. She was too shy. Um, I'm sorry, not shake hands. She didn't want to say thank you. She was too shy to say thank you. Um, in that case there, I, I gave it a little bit of time. I didn't push the issue. And after getting close to the end of the meal, I looked at her and said, uh, uh, Gave her a name. I mentioned her name. I don't want to say it here for her sake, I guess. But I uh, 
said, now, I'm, Dad is expecting you to say thank you. At that point, I, I drew my lines. We were going to go back to another room if, if, if she didn't obey. Now, there's a difference between, I, I believe that is a, a shyness that I think that we need to work on. That's different. We were on a plane one time, and we did the cheap flight, a bunch of children on the plane. Well, we ended up with seats all over the plane. And one of the little boys got stuck in a seat by himself. There was, we had little children all over the plane, so they couldn't see their mom and dad. And this little guy balls up, puts his hands over his head, and starts to cry. That is not... the the kind of shyness that we're going after. That is a time to go put your arm around that child and give them a hug. Fortunately, in that case, a lady on the plane saw what was going on and stood up and began to give orders and soon their children were with their parents and uh, other people got moved around. I'm glad she was that brave. I was farther back in the plane with a child and I didn't see what was going on, but she saw that we were separated as a family and she was kind enough to reach out to that kind of shyness. Okay, so <clears throat> just be sensitive, families. I've found out with raising children, you think you've got an answer for one thing, but the next time it's, there's other things, and it takes wisdom. You don't want to spank that child who's balled up on the plane seat because mom and dad is not in sight. And I see sometimes we, 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 we get so... It's just, we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God. Training our children to shake hands and to smile. Daniel, why don't you come up here for a little bit? Training our children to shake hands and to smile. Now, Daniel, you know, we've, we've tried to teach you to shake hands at church, right? I remember when Leonard came up to New York, one time he made the comment that the children seemed to be bright-eyed or something like that. I forget the total comment, but it was something along the lines. Here's what I think it was. Um, so when, when you meet people at church, do you look at the floor when you shake hands? Or do you look them in the face and smile? Okay. So, good morning, Daniel. How are you doing? And this is something you train for. You parents know that sometimes the children just, they, they try to ignore adults. And some of us are doing that. Rudy's were doing that with their children. And when Leonard came, he made the comment that children seem bright-eyed and cheerful. And, I'm, I, and I thought, well, no, it's, it's because we're teaching them to look adults in the face. When, when you shake hands with an adult, you look them in the face. You can go back, son. Appreciate that. You look them in the face and you smile at them. You, and there's something about that kind of connection um, that I think must make children look like they're bright. <laughs> like they're, uh, Johnny tells another story where he was later that day training. One of the children had a horse that wouldn't cross a ditch. Without balking, couldn't get it to cross a ditch. So Johnny went in to put the holder in this horse and to train it to go across the ditch. And the horse jerked its head back and wouldn't let him put the holder on its head. And the boy said, "Oh, I forgot to tell you, you have to take it apart 
and put it around his ears. He don't let you slip it over his ears. And Johnny said, no, wait a minute. So he went to put it around the horse's ears and the horse couldn't back. He he actually backed the horse up against the wall so it couldn't back up. And so the, and I had something so it couldn't go forwards. So the only place it'd go with its head now was up. So it just stuck its head up and tried to get away from Johnny. And Johnny thought, well, that's fine. I'll just stand here and let him keep his head up. But after a bit, the horse discovers that, you know, holding my head up all the time is not very, it's not an easy thing to do. So he, he comes back down and, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes of working with him like that, the horse finally left him, put the holder over his ears. And uh, which is and instead of taking it apart and putting it around and reconnecting it, and uh, they walked outside and uh, found the ditch that the horse wouldn't cross. And Johnny just walked right through with the horse. And the boy said, and Johnny said, well, "Where's the ditch? Where's the ditch at? The horse won't go through." And the boy said, "We just went through it." And they realized that when the horse gave Johnny his ears. He gave Johnny his will. And so now when it's time to go through the ditch, the horse has given his will to Johnny. And the, the ditch was no issue. When he gave up his ears, he gave up his rights. And uh, I think that a lot of that happens in the same way with children. When they just learn to obey in a few areas, that it can just make a world of difference in the rest of home life and obedience. Once they, they yield. Training our children to be successful. Years ago at the supper table, my children were young. And I said, who wants to pray? And all of a sudden, my children, who all they're growing up, who begged to pray, didn't want to pray. And a stab of fear went through my heart. I thought, well, maybe I'm going to raise rebellious children. It scared me. And I thought there, and I thought, what, what is wisdom? How do I... Do you spank a child for not praying? Don't sound right, does it? I had an idea. Lord gave me an idea. It actually came from Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn. I'm not sure which one it was. <laughs> I mean, paint, white, painted the whitewashed, got, got all of his buddies to whitewash the fence. So I, I just asked, I said, who, who wants to pray? And I got my hand up there. I'm praying. Okay, so Dad prays. Next meal, I said, who wants to pray? I got my hand up. I'm praying. Next meal, and one of the children said, Dad, you never give us a chance. I said, tough beans. I get my hand up first. You don't. So the next meal, when it came time to pray, I said, who wants to pray? And I kept my hand down a little bit and all the rest of the hands. I want to pray. Problem solved. What a blessing when it's time to pray and the children are begging to pray. I don't know what would happen if you'd spank a child. It just seems like something, spanking a child to make them pray. It just seems like I would give them a negative connotation for prayer. We don't want to do something that makes them have negative feelings that they have to overcome to do something that is a beautiful blessing in the house of God.
more than once. You know, sometimes you think things are, you've got your children trained and, uh, and then they start developing bad habits again. You see it, you might be somewhere and you see that they're not really. By the way, I want to tell you children something. Yous are doing a very good job. Do you realize how many children are in this room and how quiet this room is? Yous are doing an amazing job sitting here tonight. Your parents must be training you. But anyway, more than once I've noticed our children are becoming slow in obedience. And I don't think church is the time to make up for all the lack, of, <laughs> the lack that you've been doing in the home all week, okay? When you see there's a problem, you try to try to deal with it graciously there. But when you get home, let the embarrassment that came from that give you motivation the rest of the week to, to do it. I pitied some of our family. We had so many children that worship times are actually, you need to be careful that you don't make worship time a negative time either. If, if that gets to be too much child training at worship, then, then go do it another time so that your worship time isn't a bad experience for the rest of the children. I do remember getting sensitive about that. Um, but anyway, go home and train. Uh, I've, 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 I've worked with obedience issues with children, and uh, I remember with several of them, I would, I would tell them, okay, I want you to go sit on that chair. Now, Daddy wants you to come back here and sit right beside me. Now, I want you to go and sit on that chair again. Now, I want you to come back here and sit beside me. And I just have them run around the house for a while. And then it can be a little fun, too. And so I say, I want you to get up on the table and jump off. So they're still obeying. And then I say, I want you to get up on the table again, jump off and clap twice on the way down. And so now they're obeying, but they're having fun at the same time. And... Uh, Obedience, obedience can be a positive thing. It doesn't have to be difficult all the time. So, <clears throat> the pearls tell some stories of child training. I, we have their, we had their book, um, to train up a child. I don't know if any of you have ever read that, to train up a child. But um, she tells a story in there of working with a lady who was having struggles with training her child. And uh, Michael had seen the day before this child walk up to his mom and take the bicycle and pound the tire on his mom's foot. And mom's kind of like, oh, well, we use the term Johnny. I'm sorry to all the Johnnies here, but we need to use a name. Okay, so little Johnny is um, pounding mom's foot and mom's saying, don't do that, Johnny. That hurts mommy. And the next day... Michael's watching Debbie talk to this woman again, and the child comes up and is hitting mom. And, and, uh, and then the child comes over and hits Debbie. And so Debbie picks up a plastic toy, and the child swings at her, and Debbie takes a toy and swings, takes a plastic toy and hits the child back. Not, not beating it, training it, okay? The child swings again at Debbie, and Debbie comes down again with the plastic piece of equipment. And uh, this time the child looks like he's about ready to cry, but he's not sure. He kind of looks, he's, and, uh, he's looking at his arm, trying to figure this thing out. He's, he's gaining knowledge. 
So he swings again, but he's, he's getting a little easier by now. He, you know, he hits a Debbie again, but not as hard. Well, she comes back again with a solid crack. And uh, he's starting to get the point that, that if I do this, life gets more difficult. Okay? And so which path do I take? Do I keep taking? So he's, he's figuring this out. So Mike said he's watching. And he said, by this point, the conversation's just about dying out between the two ladies because everybody's starting to wonder what's going to be the end result of this. And so the little guy tries again, he, he, but he's, he's, each time he's, he's backing off now, so he does a little tap with Debbie, see what happens. And she cracks again. And uh, so he gets a point. So he, okay, so he realizes you, you can't get your way by throwing a fit or hitting mom or whatever. So he turns over to mom and hits her. And Debbie just hands the toy to mom. And mom didn't need near as many uh, whacks because Debbie had pretty much got the message through to him. And he discovered, you know, this is not proper behavior. Um, <clears throat> now, when children are little like that, there's, there's, there's ways we're training them. You mothers are nursing babies that bite. You, you soon take, you know, pull their hair a little bit. They get a little bit of response back and... And uh, even a little tiny baby can soon figure out that pain happens when I do certain things. Um, the first year in a child's life, they're asking a question, am I loved? And I don't understand all the dynamics of this, and I'm not going to tell you everything, but I have seen enough of orphan children. Or children that come from the foster system. My wife's family raised children from the foster system. And they come and they rock back and forth. And I don't know what for dynamics are going into that. But it's just, I don't know if you've ever seen that. But it has something to do with the first year. It may even have something to do with the first nine months before they were born. Mothers... And mothers, if you do not love your children before they are born, I think it's safe to say there's a good chance that that child will pick up on your attitude. And I don't understand the dynamics to that. I remember walking into an orphanage in Russia years ago, Ukraine, I guess it was. And I walked in there and there was rows of beds back through and a child in each bed. And they were just crying for attention. I stood there and looked. There was diapers. There was there was beds that looked. You could tell they weren't changed. There was messes in the beds. Not enough of staff to go around and take care of these children. But something happens in a child's heart when they are not loved. I don't I don't know all the dynamics to it, but I know that something really wrong happens. And if you're going to undo that, you're going to have to put special thought into winning that child back. And I wouldn't try it very quickly. And if you are going to try it, I suggest that you go to someone who's been successful with children who have been come with those kind of needs. I would go to those. I would go to there's there's a few families who have been successful. And I would suggest you go to them. The second year, the child is asking, "Who is in charge?" This is a year to be conquering the child's will. And I hate to even use, I'm cautious about 
I just know that, uh, let me put it this way. For our family, it was about the second year when we, we noticed will issues, it's now time to deal with it. Now, I'm talking to a father recently. He thought, yeah, it could be younger than that, especially with when you can tell them when, they're, when they cry in anger. That might be a possible time to do something. Um, this is a year to conquer the child's will. Over somewhere over those early, and, and if you parents watch, you'll see it start to happen. You'll you'll just see it happening. That child will just start kind of challenging everything, and uh, that is a crucial time. We use the term sometimes break the will. I want to. I'm not sure if I like that term or not. In other words, go back to smoke. I loved. I didn't. I would never want to see smoke ruined. Smoke had incredible potential. I don't want to see smoke broken. I want to see smoke useful. I want to see smoke doing what he was given by God to do, but under guidance, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Right? Isn't that what? Isn't that ultimately what we want our children to have, where they can sense the Spirit of God, and when God speaks, they listen. That is actually where all child training is headed. Psalm 32, 8. Yes. What did you hear there? I will guide thee with mine eye. I thought before, you know... I have a feeling that God won't discipline me severely if I just listen when he... In other words, God isn't out there to discipline us severely if he can get our attention with his eye. He would rather do it with his eye. We had a teacher in school who could look at us students and we would feel like going through the floor just with one look from her. And we had a teacher also that taught in that school who just about had daily morning spankings. And I tell you what, the lady who could direct us with her eye, she could direct us with her eye. And he couldn't direct us with a paddle. My daughter Hadassah started, well, she was teaching homeschool co-op last year. And uh, all of a sudden it dawned on her, things are getting a little out of control here. And she just looked at the children and two of them immediately went and sat down. Those were children that were directed by the eye. And uh, I just I found it interesting. I don't know that I was always that sensitive. But there's something, in other words, that's the ultimate to be able to look at your child and they get the point. Um <clears throat> Discipline for disobedience, once you know that you have clearly articulated and that he understands. Proverbs 19.18. Somebody have Proverbs 19.18. Let not thy soul spare for his crying. Those who will not hear must feel. And that goes for adults, too. 
Those who will not hear must feel. I've, I've told my children already, I'm chasing you for disobedience because I'm concerned that if I don't chasten you for disobedience, that the day is coming when you will hear, not hear God's voice. And I want you to hear God when he speaks. And because of that, I'm disciplining you now to learn to hear my voice so that someday you can hear the Spirit of God when he speaks into your heart. <clears throat> Proverbs 13.24 Or did we just... Uh, yeah, 13.24 I think it's safe to say that usually there will not be a lot of strong if you if it is done right <clears throat> once there's obedience in a home there doesn't not need to be a lot of strong correction if you got things under control um If you're nagging, pleading, whining to get the children to do what needs to be done to try to bring peace to the home, you're only teaching them. Um, well, we'll get into that later. Should you correct the child who repents? Should you correct the child who repents? I'll just tell you what our policy has been in our home. <clears throat> I've told our children as they grow up, if you do something wrong, and you come and repent, we probably will not discipline you. But if you do something wrong and we get to you first, we will chasten you. I was trying to figure out if that's proper theology or, or doctrine or not. And so I was thinking about Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. <clears throat> Jesus talking to the Pharisees, you snakes, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites. And then to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Now, was Jesus just easy on women and hard on men? What, what was the difference here? The one group and the other group. Here's my conclusion. The law was designed to break the proud heart. Grace was given to heal the broken heart. And so my conclusion is, if my children come to me with a broken heart and confession of sin, I don't chasten them because I want them to be free. If your children come to you with sin... That is a very, very precious thing. If your children have got to the point where they don't hide sin, but they confess sin, that is what you want. I'm not sure if you want to spank them at that point. You have done, you, you have, it may not be any credit to you, but you have gotten to where you want to in child raising. If your child comes to you in repentance. The law was designed to break the proud heart. 
Grace was given to heal the brokenhearted. Answer the phones for Billboard Ministry and got a call a year ago or so from a young lady. And she was talking, I don't remember all the discussion, but I remember as the discussion went along, I realized this is an immoral young lady. And uh, she professes to be a Christian. And so I asked her a little bit about her background. And she said, I used to go to a church. Well, okay, she was in a church now that taught once saved, always saved. And the doctrine that goes with that. And she said, I just feel so much better now in the church I'm in. Because where I used to go to, I felt so guilty. You know, and I just couldn't do things right. But I realized the the terrible trap that she was in that many churches allow their people to get into. She had been introduced to a gospel that did not save her from her sins. It left her live in her sin and massaged her conscience. That's not the gospel that Jesus came to bring his people. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin. And the guilt that she felt in the first church was the law bringing her to repentance. But no one led her to repentance. Instead, she went to a church where she could continue to sin and didn't feel near as guilty as she termed it. And our, the churches across America are full of that. They are full of that. We want to be delivered. I've been in churches years ago. We went, we tried to find a service one morning, couldn't find it. So we, it was a prisoner I'd been working with. We just stopped in at where I knew he went to church, <clears throat> walked in, and I was kind of shocked. I'm used to going to church where there's children. Well, you walk into a church where it was just old people left. That is a graveyard. That is a graveyard. Them old people were so blessed to see a family of children there, we almost shut the service down. <laughs> they were just so excited. And uh, my heart went out to them. My heart went out to them. It's happening all across this land. The churches are empty of young people. We are so blessed. But fathers, keep training. There's a warfare that is happening right now for the souls of our children. And it is very real. It is very real. And there's men that I look up to. Men that I think are doing a good job. And then I see things just go wrong. And I, all I can say is we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to humble ourselves before God. It can happen to the best of us. I tell you, it can happen to the best home. And I do not believe that it is always the parent's problem. Each child has to make that decision. Am I going to walk with God or am I going to enjoy the pleasures of sin? Am I going to go with Egypt? 
Or am I going to go with the people of God, the way of God, the will of God, the word of God? Am I going to experience the blessings? We need to be praying for our children. For those who hearken to the commands of God, peace will flow like a river. To those who hearken to the commands of God, I, I, I see... I see homes where it is the gospel is making a difference. It's making a big difference. And uh, that's what we want. But never feeling like we have arrived or we've got it made. About the time you do that, new things come up in the family and you're, you're on your face again crying out to God. I... I, I I don't want to in any way this weekend suggest that if you do it, the first verse we read, train up a child in the way that he should go and when he was old he will not depart from it, I do not think is a guarantee that every child has been raised properly. So I want to be cautious. I know some of you parents are probably grieving with where your children are at. And we grieve with you and we cry with you and we weep with you. We need to band together as brothers and sisters and crying out to God for our children's souls. Eternity is at stake. The buildings can burn. I'm fine with that. But I'm not okay with our children going lost. 